and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a pop culture podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Lulu. And I'm your co-host, Pi. Today, things are going to be a little bit different on this podcast since we have a guest to talk to, our first ever guest. We are going to be interviewing MK Law, the author of the recent YA fantasy, Seven Faceless Saints. MK, if you'd love to introduce yourself, we can get started with that. Sounds good. Yeah, so I am a young adult fantasy author. My book came out on February 7th, so just about a month ago. It is a young adult fantasy murder mystery that is kind of based on ancient Florence, but I turned it all fantastical. Um, so it's about two characters who have to team up together to solve a series of murders that are going on in their city. And as they're doing that, they find out that uh, there are a couple more secrets in their city that they weren't aware of, and it gets a little bit darker. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Lulu and I have both already read Seven Faceless Saints since we were generously given an advanced reader's copy by the publisher, and I can confirm <laughs> it was a really fun and twisty murder mystery that has me really excited for the upcoming sequel whenever it comes out. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I'm glad they did that for you. Yeah, it was a bit of a process, actually, because it got sent to you when you were at home, but then it got sent to when you were at college. It was very confusing, but I was very excited to finally read it. I think that, like, Renaissance Italy is super interesting, so it was very fun reading a book that was set in kind of an Italian-inspired fantasy world. And I also just love, like, some dark religious fantasy zealots, so I was, like, super excited to see that aspect in the book. If a fantasy book has, like, a cult or religious zealots or, like, evil gods, I'm, like, very here for it all the time. So I was super excited to see that in the book. Oh, same. That's also, if it has a murder mystery and the cult is behind a murder mystery, then that's even better, honestly. Mm -hmm. That's true. Those are my favorites. <laughs> so Seven Faceless Saints is your debut novel. What was the process of getting it published like? So it was actually the, I believe, seventh book I wrote, maybe eighth if you count the one I didn't quite finish. And it was the one that got me agented, which was lucky. So I had all these previous novels that I had written and I queried them trying to get an agent that I knew could sell it to a publisher and this is the one that got me my agent so once I signed with her she ended up pitching it to a bunch of big publishers it took about six months I believe until we got an offer on it and then yeah a little brown picked it up and uh, I did edits with my editor we went on to copy edits and we went through probably about a year of editing the book so yeah it, it was definitely a long process Wow, eight books. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, the first five or so um, were not good. I did query them, even though I probably shouldn't have. I think a lot of people query way too early, and I was definitely guilty of that. So once I got into like book six and seven, I was in author mentor match for the seventh one, and I worked with somebody who helped me kind of perfect it a little more. And I did think that that was going to be the one that I signed with because I got like 20 something requests on it and I was so excited and then it didn't happen and I had to move on to a different one but yeah we made it there in the end so it was definitely a long road though. So you mentioned that Seven Faceless Saints is kind of Italian fantasy and I was wondering what was your inspiration for this book and where did the original idea come from because it plays around with a lot of concepts like magical saints sort of like magical versus non-magical people, childhood friends who become estranged and then have to work together to solve a mystery. And it also sort of combines a little bit of genres with a murder mystery and a fantasy. So I'm just curious what your inspiration for it was and how those different elements came together. 
Well, I knew I wanted to write a murder mystery and I didn't really start out knowing exactly how I wanted that to look. So uh, when I plan out how I'm going to do like world building for a novel, I always end up reading a bunch of historical stuff. That's just what I find inspires me. Or I watch like documentaries and stuff like that. And I think it's just looking at the different structure of how ancient societies or even just older societies were set up, like the religious system, the political system. I am a politics major. So I get really annoying about that kind of stuff. And a bunch of it has to be cut because I build it much too complicatedly, if that's even a word. Um, But so for this one, though, I was reading about actually early Florence. And this is so Florence in Italy used to be basically run by these guilds. And there were seven major guilds and then some minor guilds as well. There was a whole system and they kind of controlled the culture and the economy and That kind of inspired me to make these seven magical guilds that were, they weren't really based on the real guilds, um, like throughout history, but they were kind of separated in the same way. And that's how I sort of built the actual city. And so the how everything came together with the rebellion, I was really inspired by uh, during this, during this time period in Florence, um, there were these people that weren't part of the guild, and therefore they weren't kind of part of Florence's economy. They didn't get the wages, they didn't have a say in how the political system functioned. So they actually started a rebellion. And that's where the idea for the rebellion came from, even though I believe someone could correct me if I'm wrong, who who has read this more recently, because I researched this probably three years ago now, but they did lose their rebellion. And I sort of thought it'd be interesting if they didn't lose the rebellion, and they kind of worked their way into this system. And I don't want to give away the ending of the book, but they do do, the rebels do do a whole thing at the end of the book. And obviously not everything is fixed because it goes on to a second novel, but that's kind of what inspired that. And even Damien, the main male character, um, his role is kind of like an officer in the city. Uh, And that was inspired by these original guilds. They actually were so important within Florence that they had like these city watchmen who essentially functioned to protect them within that structure. So yeah, I could talk about historical stuff for far too long, but that's kind of what helped me put the world building together. And then once I added this magical aspect, I ended up having to sort of intertwined the murder mystery as well. So there's a lot of balancing going on between having that that magic, that historical element, um, and then obviously the the murder mystery. And all the histori- historical stuff ended up getting cut just because we decided it was too complicated with all of the all of the different historical terms and then all of the magical terms that I'd made up. So sadly it's no longer in there, but it was very fun while it was. That's, That's really interesting. interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like there are a lot of fantasy novels in which there's like different types of magic, but this one I thought was really cool for the way that it integrates it into like the political and economic systems of the city. Like there's so many novels where it's like this person's got fire magic and this person's got water magic, but they're all part of the same magical group. But it was it was fun seeing it like in such a grounded literal historical way and it makes a lot of sense that it was inspired by real guilds because like Roz involving her like blacksmith stuff building stuff for the army I was obsessed with that because I love female blacksmiths in fiction so when I got to that part I was like yes blacksmiths let's go I do love that stuff too I wish I wish that I actually could have gone deeper into it but like there's just so much that you can do when you set up a system like that right But unfortunately, with the murder mystery plot that I had planned, there wasn't a lot of room to actually go deep into what each of the guilds were doing. Um, So I ended up cutting a lot of scenes that did go into that just because they slowed down the plot a lot, which is too bad. But that's just what you have to do when you're editing, right? So 
I didn't realize that the history of the guilds in Seven Faces of Saints was so closely based off of real history, but that's really interesting. I love when authors kind of manage to weave in real pieces of history into fantasy worlds. Like as a history nerd, that's just something that's really cool to me. Also, I really enjoyed in this book how it kind of interrogated the divide between magical and non-magical people. Because like Lulu said, in so many fantasy books, it's kind of like a, a setup for fantasy where it's like everyone has magic and that's so cool and the people who have magic are just like obviously better than the ones who don't and this one's like well maybe if you didn't have magic your life would kind of suck and we should interrogate that and I thought that was really interesting because it was almost a way to talk about class divides but also bring it into like a fantasy aspect. Yeah I'm really big on I think whenever I write a certain world I'm always thinking really hard about like what is going to be the thing that divides the people that live in that world and maybe it's just because I am a policy major that's the kind of stuff that I focused on I took a lot of political violence and stuff like that and so I also had these well I had the saints in the story as well and I thought like what if I had the saints bless like the people that are in the guilds like the they have these powers because they believe that they were blessed by a higher power so then I was working with sort of this magical idea but also the idea of like a religious system that plays into that sense of unfairness and like I said there was a lot going on in that book but yeah I did I did think it would be fun to sort of take that divide which actually did exist between those people that were part of this powerful guild and people that were outside of that also, speaking about divides, I would love to talk about the two characters and how they end up on kind of such different sides. Despite, I think, both being people who have their hearts in the right place. You have sort of Roz, who is part of the magical class, but like, I think her real loyalty lies with like people who don't have magic in this world. And Damien, who is like from a family who experiences like a lot of privilege and power because of their connections to magic, but he himself doesn't have magic. And I loved how they're kind of like, foils to each other in that way like essentially they have what the other one wants like Damien has a family which Roz does not have like an intact family but he has no magic and Roz has magic but like she her father is dead her mother has kind of like lost herself in grief so I thought it was really interesting how like they're two characters who if they could like reverse positions they might be happy but they sort of have like what they don't want like Roz was super interesting to me because there are so many stories where a character discovers they have magic and they're like whoa it's awesome I'm gonna go to magic school or I'm the chosen one but instead yeah. Roz is like oh god I have magic this sucks yeah so actually when I did write them I kind of wanted to have them be in complete opposite corners which I think is pretty obvious when you read the book but for anyone who hasn't read it so Roz is the main female character and essentially she comes from a family or at least her father was not blessed and very against the saints because as someone who didn't have magic he was forced to go off and fight in this never-ending war between their city-state and a neighboring city-state and so he returns from war and he's really jaded and he feels like essentially that the whole system is not fair which it's not right and so he's been preaching throughout Roz's whole childhood that like the system isn't fair the disciples who are the people with magic they have all this power that they shouldn't have the saints are essentially not real if that's what he believes like he thinks it's just random who is magic and who doesn't so then when Roz gets essentially blessed or what the other people of the city believe is blessed uh she's horrified she she feels like she's kind of let down her family and her father by even just having this magic that she doesn't want so even though it gives her this higher standing within the society 
she's almost ashamed of it and she feels like she's letting down his memory more or less and then there's damien who is the male point of view character and he works for the palazzo in the city which is kind of the the hub where all the most powerful disciples work out of and he is in charge of the security there so he has a father who is a disciple and essentially he's upset because he is not a disciple and he feels like he must have done something wrong so that he wasn't blessed by the saints and he doesn't know what that is he doesn't understand why his father was blessed and then he wasn't so basically like you said he has exactly what Roz wants, i.e. not being blessed, and she has what he wants. Because on the other hand, he also believes really strongly in the saints. So when he doesn't have their blessing, he kind of has this feeling of like, what am I not doing right? Like, why do the saints not like me? Or why do they not want to bless me with the power? So when they come together, they butt heads a lot, because obviously, they have completely different beliefs. And they've been separated for three years. And when they do come across one another again they're realizing just how different they are and I think that leads to a lot of the angst that arises between them I really enjoyed that dynamic between Ross and Damien there was so much like a push and a pull between the two of them as they were trying to get the other one to see their perspectives and like you can see sometimes they're like almost so entrenched in what they believe that they can't possibly consider the idea the other one has like a correct perspective that they could maybe also see from. But I really love the way that these characters also have this shared history that they can't really let go of. So it kind of combines both like the childhood friends romance, but also like the enemies to lovers. And I thought it was really fun because I think those are both great romance dynamics and they managed to fit like in the same character. And I also just really enjoyed the way that it kind of explores um, societies where characters have magic and some don't because I think there's such a big focus on like obviously you want your main character to be like the cool magic person but like what if you don't have that magic and so I thought Damien's perspective was so interesting because of that because the idea he's like why didn't the saints bless me and like the idea of the saints making the choice not to do that was really compelling to me because there are so many books about like I have magic and it's cool but like what if you don't have magic and Damien was really interesting to me because of that. I also am a, a sucker for the like, we were childhood friends and then we were driven apart and now we're coming back together again. Uh, like it reminded me a little bit of Roma and Juliet from These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. I, I simply am a sucker for when characters have a shared past, but also like are promoted, like kind of pitted against each other. So like all the scenes of Roz and Damien being like, oh, I used to love this person and trust them and they let me down. I was just like rubbing my hands together and being like, ha oh, yes, this is the good stuff. <laughs> I do love that too. And I think... I'm sure lots of people will be annoyed by the fact that they just cannot see eye to eye at the start. But I feel like that is totally how I was as a teen. Like I had a viewpoint. And if I met somebody else who's like, that's wrong, I was not going to listen to them and hear them out. I was going to focus on exactly what I thought, right? And yeah, they're they're both definitely very hard headed at the start. But Roz is the worst of them for sure. So you'll see at the end, like she starts to she doesn't necessarily understand Damien better, but she's able to talk to him in a way that is a little less aggressive. And then he's the one that ends up shifting more. Um, and I really just wanted to write a female character with strong convictions like that, who's really angry, who gets to the end of the story and doesn't let that anger and those convictions go. Because I feel like there are a lot of stories where like the female character changes throughout the course of the book in a good way, but then also kind of loses the fire that she had at the beginning in a way. And I just wanted it to end with her still being as angry as she was, but a little bit, like a little bit happier. I just didn't want her to lose everything that made her character so powerful. <laughs>
yeah, I love that Roz gets to be kind of brash and angry and she's part of the rebellion and she's actively working towards a better future, but also she's like allowed to hold grudges against Damien. And I just, I really love it when female characters are allowed to like be strong and like convicted and ambitious and maybe even like a little mean at times. And I just, she was a fantastic character. I really liked Roz. <laughs> she's definitely a little mean. She's probably even a little bit annoying, but you know what? I feel like so am I sometimes when I'm in a bad mood. I was as a teen. So those are just the kind of characters that I love to read and write. And that's probably not for everybody, but I just have a great time. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that we as a society need more stories about female characters who are just like allowed to be mean and unlikable without the narrative punishing them for it. And so it was really satisfying to read Roz being this really angry person and the narrative justifying that anger because like I would also be angry if someone mailed my father's severed head to me because he was a traitor like <laughs> how can you not be angry if that happens and I especially appreciated that she comes around a bit to Damien's point of view and understands what he's thinking but at no point does he completely persuade her that her beliefs are wrong so they come to like agree on a point and they see the other one's perspective but I thought they also didn't lose their conviction which was really well done. Well, thank you. That is what I hoped for. So I'm glad that you read that and got that impression. <laughs> so Roz and Damien are both really different characters. What was your favorite part of writing each of their perspectives? Oh, you know what my favorite part is? I always write dual point of view. Well, I say always, but the last like five projects I've written are dual point of view. And my favorite part of writing each of their perspectives is when they kind of meet for the first time after those three years have passed. Because like before I wrote that meeting scene, I had them sort of reflecting on how the other character was last they saw them, like what they already know about them and how that established relationship was and what has changed over the course of the three years that have passed. And so my favorite part is always shoving them back together and having that moment of, oh, this is what they're like now. And this is what has actually changed about them. Like it's no longer in their head they're seeing them standing before them essentially and that's always my favorite part of writing characters I think is introducing a new important character and writing their perspective as they sort of take that in so yeah that would have been my favorite from I think that scene was in Roz's perspective and then right after the chapter switches to Damien's perspective and I get to write what he was thinking when he saw her and I just think that's really fun. <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. I really love reading about characters seeing a point of view character from their perspective because you learn so much more about this person that you can't see from inside their head and you see like all of the biases that the character might have about themselves but also the way that the point of view character is thinking them and it's just like really fun especially how all the juicy drama of not having seen each other for three years and like all of the tension that's built up between them because of that. Yeah I love doing that and even like as they're going along trying to solve this mystery, they're still doing the same thing. Like they're looking at each other and having these moments of like, this is another thing that's changed, or this is another thought that I have about this person that may be different from how I used to feel about them. And that's why I always say that it's most fun for me to write the first half of the book where the characters are like butting heads than it is to write the second half of the book where they're sort of trying to come together. Because I just love the angst and the drama that arises when they are not getting along, <laughs> which sounds terrible to say, but that's, I just love writing that part. And so that's definitely, that's definitely most enjoyable for me is writing those perspectives where they're both still really angry at one another. 
I mean, I can confirm it's also fun to read because I was like, I just want you to get along, but I also know you have reasons to dislike each other, but I also want you to get along. And so there was a lot of great tension in that. And then when they did start getting along, the romance was really enjoyable. So oh, thank you. <laughs> I do like that part too, but I, I just, I love the drama. <laughs> also on the topic of characters, I didn't realize when I started reading this book, but it also kind of explores Damien's PTSD and trauma after he's been fighting in the war, which I feel like is not super common for YA fantasies. I think characters will often go through pretty upsetting things, but I think Damien like having like a severe and long-lasting impact on his mental health from like being a child soldier wasn't something that I had actually seen in a ton of YA fantasies, which I thought was like very refreshing and realistic. So I was just wondering like what inspired you to write about that and kind of how you approached it because I thought it added a lot of depth to his character because I think it helps him to slowly begin to realize that like he's gone through all this terrible stuff and is haunted by his past but maybe it was really for nothing. So I thought it was a really strong aspect of the book and I'm just curious like what inspired you to write about that aspect of his character? It's interesting that you say that because I'm not really a big plotter. I kind of go into a story and I have an idea of where it's going to go and I don't know the characters yet. So I meet the characters as I'm writing, more or less. Um, even if I have an idea of where the story's going to end up, I have to write in order because I have no idea who my characters are until I get to the end. So with Damien, I knew his character was going to be like a former soldier turned security officer. And I knew he was going to have been in the war and that his friend had died in the war. But it wasn't until I actually started writing him that I just really started focusing on all of the things that stayed with him from his time there. And I think it's weird that you say that it's not a thing that's commonly explored because once I think about it, I realize you might be right that like there's a lot of there's a lot of characters that do go to war in books and it's not always like a super negative thing that affects them and hangs over them in every chapter. Um, and maybe it's just me and my experiences. But as I was writing him, all I could think was like everything that he does or thinks about is going to be impacted by like this traumatic experience, right? And I can relate to that. Obviously, I've never been to war, but like similar situations that just stick with you no matter what you do. It's always kind of there in the back of your mind, right? And then he's got kind of this, this issue where he really wants to do good by the system and his father, but he's got this trauma and all the things that happened to him that he knows weren't right. As in, like, he knows that being sent off to war wasn't something that obviously he wanted to happen. And then the fact that he did these terrible things and everybody was proud of him for doing these terrible things. And he can't really reconcile that with the fact that he feels so terrible about it. And it's, yeah, it was interesting to kind of let his character come together because I didn't really intend to do that going in. But once I started understanding who he was as a person and the kind of things that would stick with him as the story moved along, I really got to understand him better, which kind of sounds crazy because I created him, but that's just how I, that's how I plot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a creative writing major at college, so I definitely understand the feeling of like kind of getting to know characters as you write about them. I also think I was just thinking about why I haven't seen this experience represented as much in YA fantasy. I think it's because oftentimes stories culminate with war like the climax of a book might be characters going off to war but Damien's story is really more about like what happens when you go off to war and you return but like you haven't saved the day it's still going on you don't feel like a hero so I think that was kind of interesting subversion of like typical war narratives you see in fantasy books where like it slowly builds up to it and then war breaks out and then characters like save the day instead with Damien it's more like 
it's this long drawn out thing that he's like become disillusioned in and he's like well i went off to war and did terrible things and it feels like nothing has changed so i thought it was an interesting subversion of like the often normal role that like warfare plays in fantasy books where it's like the culmination instead it's kind of like the backstory and the story is all about like how do we prevent this from continuing to happen instead of we just went out and defeated the bad guys and it was all good I didn't even think about that, actually. But you're right. It usually is closer to the end. And I honestly don't know what made me want to do it as sort of a a thing in his past. But I just thought it would kind of help make the character maybe a little more well-rounded to kind of understand. Because he's in charge of these security officers who also used to be soldiers, right? Like once they do that stint up north, they come back and they might suddenly work in the palazzo as one of the uh, security officers there. And so I just felt like he... In order to be a character who people would actually want to follow in that situation, um, he would have to have an understanding of what they've gone through too. And just be, because if you're the kind of character who's, he's basically like a a cop in the book, like in that city, right? And he's part of the system that sucks. So I just felt like he needed something in his characterization that was going to make people and the reader sort of empathize with them and understand where he's coming from and why he feels the way that he does. Uh, And I think that's why I ended up building that in. I think it worked really well as a way to balance him out with Roz because they're both characters that had like a really good and like almost idealistic childhood and they both have like gone through something the other one can't totally understand. So I thought it was something that contributed a lot to his character. And like Lulu said, I do think that sometimes why fantasy especially has a tendency to like sort of glorify war it's like oh we went off to war and we defeated the bad guys and it's all cool and in this case i thought it was like actually an interesting estimation of well maybe you did go off to war and it kind of sucked and your friends died and you still have to like deal with your life afterwards so i like that a lot because it kind of worked with the more grounded exploration of like if there was a system where some people had magic and some people didn't how would people be exploited under that and it also kind of leads to like damien being seen as expendable because he doesn't have magic leads to like the whole thing where he sent off to war so I thought it worked really well as like an evolution of his character well thank you yeah that's more or less what I was trying to do with that so I'm glad to hear an author's always glad to hear that uh, it worked out and the reader took away what they were trying to put across (laughs) so you've talked about some parts of this book that you enjoyed writing without spoilers is there a particular scene that you're that you really enjoyed writing or that you're particularly proud of oh um That's a hard question because there's so many scenes that I enjoyed writing or felt good about writing for different reasons. There's actually, I think the one scene that I would say is the one, and it's hard to say this without spoilers, but it's the one where Roz and Damien meet in a garden and Damien starts out by telling Roz about his experiences at the war and all the things he's been through, but then ends up telling her a certain sort of secret I guess that he is haunted by that is also something that she is very upset by when she learns it and so I think that was kind of difficult to write actually in the sense that it starts out with I think it's from Roz's perspective and it starts out with her trying to understand who he is and where he's coming from and all the things that have happened to him that made him change but then it sort of ends with her learning this thing that essentially undoes all the goodwill that she's just felt towards him and those previous moments and then she's really hurt and she's feeling like she doesn't know him at all anymore and so I do I do like that scene so I'm I'm proud of that one just because of all the different emotions that had to go on on either side and the way it kind of shifted the narrative a little bit and now you've got these 
new tensions between them and you kind of understand the plot a bit more. So yeah, probably that one. Also something I just wanted to mention that I enjoyed about this novel is the way that it just pretty casually incorporates queer characters, which I enjoyed. Roz is bisexual and has a female ex-girlfriend who turns up, even though she's Damien's love interest, like her being bisexual is still like a casual aspect of her character. And there's a scene where Damien's kind of just driving his like understanding of like romance and stuff. And to me, it seemed like he might be on the asexual spectrum. And I was really surprised by that because I didn't know that going in, but I really enjoy seeking out like queer representation in fantasy. So that was a very nice surprise for me. And I also liked that even though it's a story that's like about kind of oppression and trauma, the characters with queer identities are just kind of like casually existing and they have like much larger problems than who they might be attracted to. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the book. And I just wanted to mention that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm. it's interesting because I always end up putting queer characters in my novels, obviously, just because it's a normal thing. And I never think about the fact that it's like representation, quote unquote. And it wasn't even until we started kind of promoting it and it ended up being promoted for certain representations that I was like, oh, people are like, they like this and are connecting to it. But when I'm writing them, I just want to see like a bisexual character in a book who's just bisexual and not doing anything about it like here's her ex-girlfriend and now she has a new kind of boy love interest like it's not anything to do with the plot it's not like she's not being oppressed in any way that's just who she is and that is a tiny tiny part of the story and nobody gives her any crap for it right and the same with Damien like I when I was writing that actually the first draft I didn't even know anything about the asexual spectrum I just wrote him as being like that and somebody said to me like is he demisexual and I'm like I don't know so I looked it up and I like I was reading about what that meant and I thought oh my god he can, like he is that is what his character is so then when I was doing subsequent edits I tried to sort of build that in to make that more obvious but yeah it's just these different intricacies that you can add to these characters and I'm I'm really glad that people enjoy it. And I'm also glad that it's not like, I don't want to say I'm glad that it's not a main element of the book, but I just like the fact that people are surprised when they realize it's there without it being yelled at them, right? Because I just want it to be like a subtle, regular thing that these characters just happen to be queer in this big story about so many other things. Yeah, it felt very like casual and normal, like Roz's relationship with her ex-girlfriend ended just because of like their interpersonal issues not because of like whether people disapproved of their sexualities so I just love that it was just casually dropped into this book and I think because we read an early copy I hadn't seen many people talking about it but I was like oh yeah nice let's go so I just enjoyed seeing that in this it was a nice surprise well thank yeah, you I'm also a fan of like queer normative fantasy books where you can just exist because I was like what do you mean they can have dragons but they can't be normal about gay people so it was just kind of nice to read a book where Ross is like this is my ex-girlfriend and this is my boyfriend and I'm just gonna be chill with my identity and especially because they have so many other problems going on in that book in their society that I was like you know it doesn't feel like they're like lacking an interpersonal conflict in this book so I'm not sure really they needed anything besides all the drama they already have going on yeah no kidding eh? that is very true I would love to talk about the aspect of this book being a murder mystery because I think the way that it sort of combines fantasy genre and murder mystery genre was super fun. I love literature that kind of incorporates different aspects of genres and blurs the lines. So I thought it was very fun that this, it is like a fantasy story with magic and warfare and saints and stuff like that. But it's also like paced very much like a murder mystery with lots of mysterious deaths springing up around the city that Roz and Damien have to investigate. So we were wondering if you have like any 
favorite stories in the murder mystery genre or like authors that had inspired this and kind of where you took inspiration to write a murder mystery plot set in a high fantasy setting because I thought that was a very fun combination of setting and plot. So I do love murder mysteries and I do tend to read like young adult ones more than I read I guess regular adult murder mystery just because I tend to read young adult in general because that's what I write and I want to get that voice down more or less and one that I had actually read that really inspired me actually I read two by him um was and these were contemporary so it was a little bit different but it was Tom Ryan's I hope you're listening and keep this to yourself I think that's what they're called it's been so many years since I read them but they were both mystery books and I just I read them all in a day I think I read both of them within the same two days and I just loved them and they felt so propulsive and interesting and they also had just queer characters that were sort of just being queer in the story. And it was just so interesting to me. And I thought like, I wonder if I could take some of these propulsive mystery elements and put them into a fantasy setting because I only really write fantasy settings. I don't do contemporary. And I, I at the same time was reading Karen McManus's books and I really loved those as well. And so again, it was a young adult contemporary murder mystery. And I just thought those were so fun that I wanted to try and take some of those elements and put it into a genre that I was more familiar with and then play around with it in there. That's really cool. I actually love Tom Ryan's books. A couple months ago, I uh, was reading, I hope you're listening, and I was so absorbed in it that I completely missed a Zoom call I was supposed to go to because <laughs> I just read like the whole book in one sitting and looked up and was like, oh my God, I was so absorbed with this kidnapping plot that I missed my Zoom call. Right? Um, yes. I love his books. He's like, I feel like like one of my favorite authors writing YA thrillers because his twists are just so good. They are so good. And it, you're right. It is more thriller than murder mystery, but I guess the first one, was it Keep This to Yourself that was the it must have been that more the murder mm -hmm. elements. yeah but I just love those I feel like when I read fantasy it takes me so much longer to read and then I sit down with like a fast-paced thriller or a murder mystery and I just I need to read them right now even though I have no attention span I just fly through them so uh, they're just great yeah I read keep this to yourself and I think one sitting because I was like so glued to the pages I had to know what the plot twist was and then when I got to the plot twist I had to finish the whole book to find out how it was going to be resolved I also really enjoy his mysteries he's like an auto read mystery author for me honestly yeah same no they're great highly recommended so well, one aspect of this book that comes up a bit is the cults where was the inspiration for the idea of like a magic system that has cults come from and like is there anything that you thought was particularly fun to write about them um, do you mean like the guild elements of it? Well, they uh, they talk a lot about the um, the faceless saints each have a cult, and then there's like the one cult that's maybe the bad guys uh, who oh. have been kind of considered to be blasphemy and they're at war with them. Where did the idea of like an evil cult come from, and how did you end up deciding to link it with the murder mystery, basically? Um, this is going to be really hard to say without spoilers. Um. <laughs> It wasn't even necessarily that I planned it as being sort of cultish in a way. I think for me, it was the idea of having one of these, well, now they're more guilds than cults, I guess, but I thought the idea of having the seventh guild would be uh, really interesting to make it into sort of a devil situation, I guess, because you've got these six saints and they're considered to be blessed um, and they bless people, obviously, to have these certain powers. And then I thought, if I made the seventh one different, sort of in a fall from grace arc, that's not to get into weird religious study stuff now, but 
you know, it's similar to like Lucifer's fall from grace, right? And then I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of work that in and make that that seventh saint have his disciples of chaos as sort of these, I guess, outliers in that system. Almost like they're I think they're called heathens in the book or something like that. Like they're people that worship the wrong the wrong saint, like the wrong God. And it, I was just very inspired. I'm very interested in religion in terms of like how people feel about the devil and the satanic character. And so I think when I wrote this, I was really focused on making this disciples of chaos cult, as you call it, being this this thing that people are afraid of and like don't want to talk about because they feel like even just invoking the name of the saint is going to make something bad happen or something like that, right? And I just love the idea that a saint that could have been uh, powerful and good at one time can do something wrong and then over the course of however many years and all these belief changes becomes almost the evil in the story. Um, And so in terms of how I worked it into the murder mystery, I don't know how to answer that without giving things away. <laughs> I don't have to answer that. I was mostly curious about the idea of like the saints in this world are, as you said, real. And then like, I really like the idea of them kind of being the devil. That was really fun to read about because it is true that like the saints are pretty much accepted as being real in this world by most people, except if you're maybe your local atheist Raws. But I like the idea of there still being like interreligion conflict between that and like if the gods are real but they're not really present in your life then how do people interpret that and their wishes so it was really fun to read about this like uh conflict going on between these two groups and like which one is right which one's wrong are they both right are they both wrong and like how are they kind of in going about their like holy war with each other which was kind of interesting to read about yeah and not to make it like too philosophical but I think even when I was writing it and I had you've kind of got these two groups of thought in this book at least from my perspective you've got the people who believe that the saints bless people and make them disciples and they essentially have a role in everyone's everyday life and then you've got people like the rebels who think that that's ridiculous and people with magic just have it because they're lucky and just they ended up getting it by I guess randomness and I don't want to give away much about the second book but there it goes more I guess deeply into the folklore in terms of some of the certain saints and how that came to be and for me I never wanted to have an answer as to whether the saints are real or not which might disappoint some people but I kind of like the idea of some people believe that they're real and they have this presence and this power and other people believe it's random and maybe you never find out because what you believe is the reality that you choose for yourself. And so that's kind of the idea there, which again is going to probably make some people sad because they want to know once and for all if the saints are real. But the answer is whatever you think. So... (laughs) <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense as an approach. It can be fun to read fantasy books sometimes where the gods like are real and walk among people. They can also be fun to read ones where like they're maybe possible influencing people, but you don't really know for sure. And I really like the idea of like the characters all believe certain things, but they don't really have any way to know if it's true. And so that's kind of where the cost between them comes from. So I actually really like the idea that we'll never like a hundred percent know for certain because you know, maybe it's a bit more fun if there's ambiguity. I think so. I think it's also just realistic, which I know is not generally what people want when they read a fantasy. But when I'm writing something like this, I I just like this kind of 
I don't want to say strangeness in terms of the religious aspects, but I just like the idea that you never know exactly what the truth is, because that's kind of how it is in reality, right? Obviously, there's no proof of certain things, but other people think they have proof. And then there's a whole other group of people who think that everything is ridiculous. And I, I just like the fact that you can write a story like that and invoke those elements, but then not give anyone a hard answer, because that's just how life is. Yeah, I was talking to Pi about this when I was reading Seven Faceless Saints and how I found its approach to religion like interesting in comparison to other fantasy novels because like in the real world, faith is so much based on like believing something even if you don't have 100% truth of its existence. But in fantasy novels where like you might regularly have magic or like acts of divine intervention, characters like will just be like, oh yeah, the gods are real because the other day one of them like went and smote that city over there or something or like I had a dream where a god told me some advice or something. But in Seven Faceless Saints, it feels much more reminiscent of the real world where characters are sort of present in a world that has these forces, some of which are magical and some of which are natural, but like ultimately have to make up their own minds about the truth of it, which I loved. I think fantasy novels that have like a light hand on like use of gods are very interesting because then the story becomes all about like what do characters do with like this knowledge or belief like I love the Queen's Thief series by Megan Whalen Turner because there's like very light uses of gods but it's really more about like how humans interact with each other or I was also reading Vespertine by Margaret Rogerson when I was reading this at the same time because I'm like a okay. chronic book multitasker <laughs> and I loved how they both engaged with the idea that like ultimately these fantasy religions are like still constructed by people like there is magic present in this world but like people kind of make up their own beliefs and explanations for it which seemed like very reminiscent of our world but not in like a boring magic isn't real way it's just like magic is real but like the origin of it is kind of up for us to decide so I love the ambiguity personally because faith in fantasy fiction is super interesting to me yeah there are a lot of ways that you can go about it and I think I'm sure some people will read it and feel like it's not I guess, in-depth enough, like the characters aren't doing enough in terms of making their faith known or they're not they're not like actively praying in the story or anything like that. But I think that's just realistic in terms of how a lot of people approach it throughout their life. Like Damien's not, he's not really praying at the start. He, he does once, I think, but like it doesn't really affect his life. It's a, a constant in his life and it's something that he believes because that's what he's been taught. But it's not something that he's, actively engaging with very often over the course of the book and I think that's just the way a lot of people approach their belief system and live their lives like they're just living their lives and it's kind of in the background and that's sort of what I wanted to do with that book that makes a lot of sense yeah so you have mentioned a couple of points that you've been working on the sequel and I thought it might be fun for kind of a wrap-up question to just ask what are you currently working on and if there's like any non-spoilery but intriguing things you can tell us about the sequel I'm super intrigued by the idea of learning more folklore about the saints because like the little hints of that we got in the first book were super interesting to me so I'm very excited to see more of that but if there's anything else that you could tell us that's not a massive spoiler obviously. Yeah so I can tell you that well at the end of the first book this is also not a spoiler but it sort of ends with them talking about a meet a certain meeting that they're gonna have between everybody in the city and I will tell you that that is how book two starts and it doesn't exactly go amazingly to nobody's surprise. It is also definitely more of a like a group cast in book two. I guess the main plot here is that some of their some of their friends are going to be in trouble and they will have to 
link up with their other friends to help them out of that trouble. So book one was very Roz and Damien focused. Like it was about them coming back together and their relationship. And book two kind of brings in the secondary cast a bit more and their their group dynamic instead of just a couple dynamic. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that, but it was also terrible because I don't like having six characters in a scene um, because it's just a lot more to contend with. But it was interesting in that it was very different to write and I enjoyed it a lot. And I will also tell you that in the second book, Damien, the token soft boy from book one, is sort of becoming very unhinged. And that was very fun for me to write as well. <laughs> I'm very intrigued by that now. I, I love a little corruption arc. I love when characters just get to go unhinged a little bit. <laughs> it was very fun. I do. I love that too. And that's why he's so nice. And I guess, I don't want to say, everyone says a soft boy, which I don't really see him as a soft boy, but I say that because that's what people say. I think he's just more inside of himself than some other characters. But anyway, yeah, he definitely becomes different as a character and I think it will be very fun for people to read I hope because I had fun writing it I love when people kind of lose their minds and stories and <laughs> that's sort of what happens here he becomes very different for a while during that book well those are some intriguing hints I'm excited for a big cast of friends but also Damien corruption arc imminent those both sound fun <laughs> Yeah, I like the little hints we got of the side characters in this book, like the sequence when they kind of go rescue Damien from that boat. I enjoyed like the kind of little mini heist going on there. So I'm excited to see more of the casts of characters. I'm the kind of person who like imprinted on Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo as a child. So I love a good like ensemble cast in fantasy books. It's just fun that. to see characters bouncing off of each other and characters who hate each other and characters who like each other. It's, it's a good time. It is. And I, I love reading books with big ensemble casts like that. I absolutely hate writing them, <laughs> but they're just so much fun to read that I, I did read a couple of different books as I was writing this, just trying to get down like the dynamic of how you even work with all those characters in the same scene. Cause I think that's what makes it so hard for me to write is that you've got so many people and you're feeling like, did that person get mentioned enough in the last couple pages? Like, is the reader going to forget they're there? Because when you're writing it, it's a totally different pace than when you're reading, right? And so it's definitely tricky. It is not my favorite to do, but I really love ensemble cast in general. So I am hoping that it ends up reading okay and people like it. <laughs> well, I think we're both very excited to read the sequel whenever it comes out so we can get a bit of resolution on that cliffhanger and also everyone's stories. So, yeah. I can tell you it will be February 2024 by the looks of it. So that's a long time, but <laughs> hey, less less than a year, technically, since we're in it's March true. now. It's true. <laughs> Only 11 months to go. <laughs> the you problem with getting an arc is that you read things so fast and you're like, oh, I have to wait even longer for the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, I think we've about run through all our questions. So I just want to say thank you so much for uh, agreeing to do an interview with us. This is really fun to talk to you and learn more about your process and inspiration behind the book. No, oh, thank you so much for having me. Your questions were amazing. And I've talked about quite a few things today that I haven't even been asked about before, which I always love. So thank you very much. Yeah, this is really fun. I am very excited to read the sequel. I'm excited for um, Unhinged Damien now. <laughs> I hope you like it. Thanks so much for agreeing to do an interview with us. And I think we all can agree we had a fun time talking about Seven Faceless Saints. And we're excited to read the sequel in less than a year.
Yes, I need to uh, get my copy edits in now. I'm pretty much done the actual editing part. It's just me fighting with the ending for the last six months at this point. So, <laughs> Well, good luck finishing your revisions and copy edits, and thanks again. With that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you enjoyed this episode or others, please consider leaving us a rating on your podcast app of choice. You can find us on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, on Instagram at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet, and our website is NeverTheTwinsShallMeet.com. M.K. Lobb's debut novel, Seven Faceless Saints, is available now to be purchased wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening!